All right, hello, everybody, and welcome to this third edition, I guess it is, of Ask Me Anything. And uh, love doing this, love uh, seeing all the questions coming in. If you're new to this format, I am attempting at least to keep a schedule of doing one of these a week. So this is in addition to our regular Sunday night uh, news-oriented podcast. And then, of course, we have separately a guest segment. And so this is now the third download for the week. And what we're doing to encourage people to record questions for the Ask Me Anything episodes is we're taking all the books here in the studio and we get quite a few books sent to us every single month from the publishers that want to book guests on the show. Sometimes we also get DVDs and we just get overloaded with all this stuff. So what we're going to do is once a month, we're going to take one person who records a question for the Ask Me Anything episode, and uh, we're going to randomly pick one person from that list of those that recorded a question, and we're going to give away that box of books. Uh, now, in order to get in the running for that, you need to record a question. However, I still am answering questions that people submit by email, so we'll have kind of a mixture of that today. All right, let's go to our first question, which is coming in from Dorothy in Chicago. Hi, Jim. My name is Dorothy. I live in Chicago and I want to know what inspired you to write ebooks. Okay, thank you for your question, Dorothy. Dorothy wants to know what inspired me to write ebooks. So let me go back and give you a little bit of a history of myself as an author. So my first published book, I think, was around 1990. And my first book was actually self-published. And then I had my first kind of breakthrough published book, which was called Financial Bootcamp. So I've always had an inspiration to be a writer. I, I've always loved that format. I love radio. I love podcasting. I love TV, but I really like writing, I think, overall, because you get a chance when you're writing to kind of polish your words and put something out there that you really get to think deeply about as opposed to when you're doing something like this, sort of speaking off the top of your head, sometimes it's not quite as eloquent as uh, you know what you can do with a written word. And I also, too, love to give people worksheets and step-by-step -step and websites to go to, and those kind of things are best communicated in a written form more so than in a verbal form or, or through video. So what inspired me, uh, if you read some of my early books, you'll find out that when I was a teenager, I was 15 years old. My father was uh, hurt on a construction site. He was a union electrician there in Chicago. And that began a real financial trial for my family. So I'm 15. I'm just a freshman in high school. I find out that my dad's been hurt on a construction site. That would then lead to my family going through some very, very difficult financial times for a number of years. My dad ultimately becoming, as a result of that accident, becoming permanently disabled. But during that time, there were so many Christian people that helped my family that I became inspired that I wanted to dedicate my life to helping other Christians with finances as a result of what I had gone through and the struggles that my, my family went through, my mom and dad, 
and how Christian people reached out to help us. So I, that's really the, the beginning of my inspiration. But let me talk specifically about ebooks because that's what your question was directed at. What inspired me to write ebooks? So that's sort of a an intro as to what inspired me to be a, a Christian finance writer. But ebooks in particular. So if you go back about 12 years, there was a thought, and I was on this bandwagon, that ebooks would overtake physical printed books. That uh, they were, you know, coming out with these devices. Of course, Kindle, and there are others. And the idea was that physical printed books were going to disappear, and everybody was going to be reading on these e-readers. Now, the number of people that do read ebooks has certainly increased year after year after year, but it hasn't overtaken physical books. We still have, you know, libraries filled with physical books, bookstores filled with physical books. So that hasn't gone away. But even that being said, um, I still think that there is kind of a unique niche for eBooks. And I love this for somebody who is a beginning writer, because you can sit down and write a short book, which might be, let's say 30 or 40 pages. And and this works very well with nonfiction, like like a how-to type of a book, which is my niche in writing. I'm a a nonfiction how-to writer. So this idea of these short eBooks has become very, very popular, where people will pay a few dollars to get some information on how to solve a problem. Uh, you know, it could be financial advice, it could be dieting advice, it could be relationship advice, all kinds of different things. This whole realm of what we call nonfiction or how-to uh, type advice uh, books. So if you're somebody inspired to write a book, sometimes the idea of a 300 or a 400 page book that's going to be a printed book can be overwhelming. And as a result, a lot of times people who have some great information to share never actually do that. They never write even the first page because the idea is so daunting of a 300 page book or a 400 page book, which is why in my course that I teach about online business, there's a lot in there about self publishing and, and eBooks and all of that. But I love this niche of the eBook, especially for the shorter books for people that are just getting started as a writer, because I believe that the toughest thing as a writer is that first book. And once you get that first book out there and you see your name up there on Amazon, that you have a book for sale and you start getting money from that. I think that that is just a giant accomplishment. And all of a sudden the second book, the third book, the fifth book, just, just start rolling out. And then the idea of, of a larger book, which might become a printed book, does not become, you know, it does not look like Mount Everest anymore. It looks like just another project that you can take on. Um, so I love this idea to get started. But here's the truth also that now with the Kindle publishing platform at Amazon, you can very easily turn your ebook into a printed book. And there was a time that the idea of just a short book, like 30 or 40 pages, was not good um, to, to make also as a print book, that it was really more limited to just an ebook. But that's not the case anymore. People are very easily using the Amazon platform to turn their short ebook, 30, 40, 50 pages, into a print book. And then also turning it into an audiobook. 
Um, but again, you know, the idea here, Dorothy, is to not make this such a big project that it causes people to lose motivation. So I love the idea, if you're a new author, to crank out something short, 30, 40, 50 pages or less, and uh, publish it just as an ebook, just to get yourself started. And uh, if you want some more resources on this, there is, uh, in addition to my own course, I do recommend another person's course on how to write an ebook in seven days. And it's it's a really good book. I, I believe there's a link to that book. If you go to the top of christianmoney.com, you'll see my my resources there and you'll see a link to that book. Otherwise, anybody else listening, you can email me and I'll give you a link to that course uh, that I do recommend. It is, we do have an affiliate arrangement with them, so we get a little bit of money for referring people, but it's a very inexpensive course. I, th I think it's under $30 and it's a great course that we've been recommending for years for people that want to get organized, uh, create a good outline so that they can jump in and start writing a book. So again, to answer your question directly, my inspiration is that situation my family went through. And then as you know, from my later book, my more recent book, How to Pray for a Financial Miracle, my own financial crisis that I went through due to the embezzlement scheme that was uh, perpetrated by my own brother. So uh, God kind of brought me back through another financial trial and it kind of inspired me in a new way to reach out to Christians going through very similar things. So I hope that helps you. And uh, I, I do love eBooks and I get the sense maybe from your question that you might be interested in pursuing uh, writing an eBook of your own, which I think would be a fantastic idea. I, I really believe Dorothy, we all have something to say, something to share and uh, to inspire God's people. And I think it's a shame that so many people live their life, they go to their grave without ever having shared that story in a written form. And uh, if for no other reason, put it in writing, you know, for your family and your friends. I, I always say that books live on forever. And it's a great way to uh, let your testimony and your story uh, continue to live on even when you're gone. God bless. Thank you for your question. All right, so our next question coming in is by email. Jerry in Stockton, California, wants to know if I am still recommending Ripple XRP. All right, um, so for those not familiar with what Ripple XRP is, this is a digital currency along the lines of Bitcoin, but there are quite a few differences, and we'll talk about those here in a second. And it's what we call an alt currency, that is, it is a digital currency, a cryptocurrency, but it's not Bitcoin. So we call these other ones alternative or alt currencies. So Ripple XRP, what is it? I started talking about Ripple XRP when it was just three cents. And that was many, many years ago. And there was a time where it got to be about three and a half dollars then it went way back down to like 20 cents. And now as I'm uh, recording this podcast today on September 12th, it is a buck 10 for Ripple XRP. It is my favorite cryptocurrency second to Bitcoin. So as many of you know, I've been involved with Bitcoin since 2012 and, uh, you know, super excited about Bitcoin and how well it's done. But I also have this 
secondary option, the secondary favorite, which is Ripple XRP. And I've been talking about it, like I said, since it was three cents. Now, there are a lot of differences between Ripple and Bitcoin. And I talk about this in my book, The 90-Minute Bitcoin Quick Start. So to begin with, the idea behind Ripple XRP was not as much designed for individuals like you or me uh, to use it as a means of, of, of transactions. Although we can, the actual main reason for the creation of Ripple XRP was for banks to use it to settle transactions. It, it really, it's like the cryptocurrency for banks is, is the best way for me to describe it. Again, it doesn't mean that we can't use Ripple XRP. I own quite a bit of Ripple XRP and, and you can purchase Ripple XRP as well. Uh, and by the way, how do you buy Ripple XRP? Well, you can't buy it presently at Coinbase. It was available at Coinbase, the largest exchange, but it's no longer at Coinbase. But if you just do a quick search online, uh, where can I buy Ripple XRP? You'll find that there are several other lesser known exchanges where you can buy Ripple XRP. And if you want more details on that, you can always reach out to me with an email to jim at christianmoney.com. But uh, yes, I still do like Ripple XRP. I still own Ripple XRP. What has happened with it? Why has the price been, you know, going so crazy, going up, going down? Uh, so what's going on with Ripple presently is that there is a lawsuit. The government is suing Ripple and they're telling Ripple that their their allegation is that Ripple is a security. And as a security, they should have filed all kinds of documents, you know, just like if someone's doing a stock offering, they've got to go through the Securities and Exchange Commission, file all kinds of documents. It takes months, sometimes years and get approval to be able to offer that investment opportunity to the public. Well, that did not happen with Bitcoin. Bitcoin never went through a process of being approved as a security and the government isn't going after Bitcoin uh, in a similar way. And there's a lot of other cryptocurrencies that are out there that the government is not going after. So a lot of people, including me, believe that Ripple XRP was just targeted for, for some particular reason. Uh, the government decided we're going to target Ripple XRP. So this litigation has been going on uh, now for quite a while, I think maybe around a year or so. And the, the recent developments on it, which is why Ripple is now spiking again, the price is going up quite a bit in recent weeks, is because the legal case against Ripple, the government lawsuit, is really falling apart. And uh, due to some recent rulings by the judge in the case, there is a growing optimism that the case is going to either be thrown out altogether or that it's going to be settled. In either case, this takes the dark cloud away from Ripple XRP and gives it an opportunity to, you know, sort of, you know, uh, breathe, breathes new life into the cryptocurrency. So the all time high was around three dollars and 50 cents. Uh, but some people think and we've had an expert on our show recently. Some people think that one Ripple could be worth hundreds of dollars at some point. Uh, so th th there's an opportunity. You know, a lot of people think that Ripple is, you know, the future of Ripple could be just as bright as the future of Bitcoin. And so it could be an opportunity to get in early at a dollar ten uh, to get into Ripple, which could be worth hundreds of dollars. Now, 
it's probably never going to be worth the same amount as Bitcoin. And the reason is pretty simple, that the amount of Bitcoin that will ever be created is 21 million coins. Um, however, when it comes to uh, Ripple, there's a lot more coins that will be created. So it's it's doubtful that we'll ever see like uh, Ripple into the thousands of dollars. But I certainly think Ripple being worth hundreds of dollars is very possible. I, and I really believe that. And uh, you can laugh if you, if you like, but <laughs> I was the guy that started talking about Bitcoin when it was 12 bucks. So I do think there is a big, big opportunity with Ripple. I talk quite a bit about Ripple in my book, The 90-Minute Bitcoin Quick Start. If you're more interested in you know, some of the, the differences between Bitcoin and Ripple, there's more on that in my book. But uh, to answer this question uh, from Jerry, yes, I still love Ripple and I still like it, uh, have a lot of um, you know optimism about its, its price uh, movement in the future. Of course, I can't recommend it to you personally or to anybody else. Um, you know, I'm just telling you that's that's my view on it. And I always say when it comes to cryptocurrency, don't put in any, in any money uh, that you can't afford to lose, because I think it's it's still in the realm of speculative, uh, speculative investment, which means the risk is very, very high. Thank you so much for your question, Jerry. And we move on to our next question. All right, the next question is another email. This one again from Chicago. Deborah wants to know if I think now is a good time to buy a house. Wow, <laughs> this is a good question. And uh, ah, I have to tell you, there's a, there's a lot to say here on this. I'm very optimistic about real estate values. However, you have to look at real estate regionally. I don't think you can look at real estate anymore as one sort of monolithic nationwide market. I really believe that the, the, the areas like Florida and Texas are going to be huge over the next several years. And if you just take a look, Deborah, at the you know inflow and outflow, the population numbers in, in these states, that really is the precursor or the predictor of real estate prices. Now, right now, there's a lot of inflation. And so real estate looks like it's kind of going up everywhere, even though it's going up even at faster rates in Florida and Texas. And in a lot of you know parts of the South, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, what we're seeing is people moving from these larger urban areas uh, to areas uh, where tax uh, policy is more favorable, where the cost of living is less, um, where there are, are opportunities, you know, for remote workers to keep that, let's say, New York City job or Chicago job and live in an area that's less expensive, uh, like Florida or Texas. So you've you've got to look at your individual market, and you can't look at it anymore as just one big real estate market nationwide. I personally would not be running out to buy into a real estate market like where you are, Deborah, in Chicago. I would not buy real estate right now in Chicago. In fact, if I owned real estate in Chicago, I'd probably be trying to get out of it right now. I really think that uh, this is going to be a regional opportunity in certain pockets of the country where population is growing. And, uh, 
It's going to be the reverse of that in areas like Chicago, like New York, uh, New Jersey, uh, lots of you know major areas in, in, in California, I think, are going to see the bubble pop. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I wish I've had, had better news for you. Um, I wish I knew from your question where you were thinking of buying. I'm assuming Chicago, but maybe not. Maybe you're, you live in Chicago now and you're going to be coming to, to Dallas or coming into Florida. Uh, and by the way, I am working on a book about the Florida real estate market, which is going to get into the different areas of Florida and how much it costs to live in different areas. And so with a lot of people having the opportunity for remote work, and what we just recently went through with COVID, I really think the idea or the necessity of living in a big city uh, is just not there anymore. There's just not that this, you know, rock solid need to live near these big city centers. And we're, we're just seeing continued increases in in outflows of population from these areas. So I would be a buyer right now uh, in these areas with population growth, you know, specifically Florida and Texas. Uh, maybe even the Carolinas, but uh, I wouldn't be a buyer in Chicago or these major urban areas. Uh, I just don't see a bright future. I hope that helps you. Thanks so much for your question, Deborah. And we move on to our next question. Okay, we go to our next question, which is another email. This is Thomas from Houston, Texas, and he wants to know what I think about the current level of the stock market uh, should he stay in the market? Should he get out of the market? Well, Thomas, I can't tell you personally what to do, but I've been saying for a long time that the market is way overvalued. In fact, I am just shocked. I am shocked we haven't seen a major market crash before now. Uh, by by pretty much any measure, uh, the market is overvalued, especially when you have the dark cloud of, of covid and these variants, and now we're seeing news that the Fed is actually buying corporate debt, which is traditionally something they, they largely do not do uh, unless it's a significant crisis. I think the market is overvalued. Now, I was talking to a younger person about this, this young guy, he's only 28 years old. He was asking me you know, about his retirement plan and putting money away and whether it should be in the stock market. And again, I can't give anyone individual advice. I'm no longer in that business. Um, however, uh, you know, if you're a younger person and your timeline is 10 years, 20 years out, I'm not as worried about you uh, putting money away on a systematic basis, you know, averaging into the market, dollar cost averaging, putting in a little bit of money with every paycheck you get. Uh, that That is a different situation than somebody that might be in their 50s or even in their 60s that is approaching retirement uh, in single digit you know, number of years, uh, man, I'll tell you, people in that situation need to be really, really careful right now. I personally think that this market could easily drop 30% or 40%, which would really be devastating and wipe a lot of people out. So, you know, for those people that are getting closer to retirement, you've made a killing if you've had money in the stock market. But I am just worried uh, if this pandemic continues, these variants continue. And man, there are just some strange things going on in the economy right now. When you look at all the businesses that are closed because they can't get employees, this is a nationwide crisis for so many 
in the service business. We also know that so many businesses have kept going, mostly because of these government loans uh, that have been given out, these government, uh, you know, emergency disaster loans and these PPP loans to, to help businesses to pay payroll. And that money can't last forever. It can't last forever. And where the kind of the devastating blow comes, you know, what is that trigger or that spark that causes the explosion? Um, it's going to be interest rates. Uh, we have seen the government taking on an unprecedented amount of debt. And interest rates still remain very, very low historically. So that means that the annual interest cost on our national debt is is still low compared to what it could be, even if rates moved up 1% or 2%. So what's going to happen is pretty much textbook uh, economics. As, the infl- as inflation continues to heat up, at some point, the government is going to have to raise interest rates. And once we see rates go up, it's going to have a direct hit on the stock market. It's also going to have a direct hit on the mortgage market. And that will probably be what precipitates a real estate crash in some of these uh, weaker markets that I just uh, talked about uh, with the last uh, question. You know, some of these big cities, Chicago, uh, various parts of New Jersey outside of Manhattan, New York City, uh, Southern California, Northern California, pretty much all of California. Uh, we're going to see those markets decimated when rates go up and houses become less affordable. So on that same note, as long as I'm talking about mortgages, this is a great time to refinance if you have a mortgage. It may be that right now, is the last window to refinance at these kind of rates. Uh, People are getting rates in the threes, fixed rates. Uh, This may be the last chance in your lifetime to ever see rates like this. Uh, So this would be a time to to look at that. But uh, to answer your question, Thomas, man, you know, uh, I wish I knew your age, but uh, if if you're anywhere within, let's say, 10 to 15 years of retirement, I would be super super cautious right now. So it doesn't mean that you take all your money necessarily out of the stock market. Maybe you reduce your exposure uh, by half uh, instead of having all your money in there. Maybe go down to half. Maybe look at, uh, you know, larger cap, you know, larger capitalized positions like, you know, mutual funds that uh, maybe buy value stocks, uh, those kinds of positions. So take some money off the table. What you do leave on the table I would be looking at, uh, you know, getting more conservative with it, getting more into, uh, you know, the safer, bigger companies. Uh, But again, I can't tell you personally what to do, but that's what I would do if I were in uh, your same situation. Thanks. Thank you so much for your question, Thomas. And we move on to our next question. All right. This is from Tammy in Sacramento. And uh, good question. We're kind of hitting all the the different uh, areas as far as should I buy, should I invest? So this question is about car buying. With everything going on right now in the uh, auto market, is now a time to buy a car or should you wait? So the backdrop of this is for people that are not familiar, there is right now a shortage of new cars. This is all because of a shortage of computer chips. And yes, 
every car today is computerized. So when these computer chips ran dry uh, due to COVID, um, there there are now literally thousands of cars that can't be delivered to dealers because they can't finish the production because of the shortage of these computer chips. I know this sounds crazy, but that's exactly what's happening. So in some cities, you can drive past a new car dealer and see like almost no cars there. And so because of the shortage of new cars, not only is it really tough to negotiate on a car right now, because I mean, uh, no pun intended, but the dealer is in the driver's seat because they don't have that many cars. So they're not going to be that interested in, in cutting prices to make a deal with you. Um, the second thing is because of the shortage of new cars, the price of used cars has also gone up. Uh, so a lot of people are saying this is a great time to sell your used car. Uh, you know, if you need a car right now, then you need a car. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And just like with a lot of things, even when the market conditions are not good, you can still go out there and, and you know, go to Facebook Marketplace, uh, hunt and find a great deal on a used car. I personally like these services like Carvana, uh, where you've got the opportunity to, uh, you know, keep the car for, for a few days to see if you like it or not, take it to your mechanic, um, you know, and, but prices are high right now. So, you know, if you can, uh, Tammy, if you can wait, you know, if, if the car you have right now, you can keep it together, uh, <laughs> you know, keep it wired together, just keep it on the road a little bit longer. If you could keep your car that you have now for even just maybe three or four more months, I think you'll be in a much better position come the first of the year. Uh, to look at, at at having better prices for both new cars and used cars. I believe that that's when we're going to see this uh, this chip shortage, uh, you know, clear up uh, going into next year and we're going to see better prices. But if you need a car right now, uh, you know, you can shop it out and I'm sure there's a deal out there to buy, you know, to just find that one car. And I always tell people too, if you're going to buy a used car, buy from somebody you know. Uh, you know, if you're a part of a church, which I know a lot of you that listen are, you know, uh, put the word out in your church that you're looking for a car. Uh, you'd be surprised. Sometimes someone will give you a car uh, in your church. Uh, but uh, at least you buy it from someone that you know that that took care of it. It's not going to lie to you uh, about, uh, you know, any mechanical issues uh, with the vehicle. Uh, but this is not a good time to be a buyer. Uh, sorry to give you that bad news. All right, so as we close out this episode, remember, if you record your question, you get a chance to win the books, but we'll still take your questions by email, jim at christianmoney.com. And to record your question, you go to jimparisradio.com. You'll see the button there right towards the top of the page after the graphic there with the microphone, the radio microphone, just below that, you'll see the button to click on to record your question. And please help us by supporting our sponsor that keeps us commercial free. And that is internet paycheck for life.com. I have five free videos there for you all about how to start your own online business. Get your five free videos today and support our sponsor internet paycheck for life. Com. This is Jim Paris here as always to help you make the most of God's money. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.